Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When the company lawyers tell you to contact law enforcement, do you maliciously comply? We'll get to that in a bit, but first, cashier gets boss's job. I was working as a cashier at a convenience store, and my manager was convinced that I was stealing from the register. He would constantly hover over me and watch my every move. I was fed up with his constant suspicion and decided to take matters into my own hands. I started following his every instruction to the letter, no matter how ridiculous or unproductive they may seem. If he asked me to count the money in the register, I wouldn't count it out loud, but one bill at a time. If he asked me to check the expiration date on a carton of milk, I would hold it up to my ear and listen for the expiration date. My manager was initially pleased with my newfound compliance, but as the days went on, my malicious actions started to drive him insane. He started getting complaints from customers about my odd behavior and the store's efficiency took a hit. He realized that his constant suspicion was causing more harm than good. Eventually, he apologized to me for his behavior and agreed to give me more trust in my work. I was satisfied with my victory, but I made sure to continue following his instructions, just to keep him on his toes. The other employees, inspired by my story, started to stand up for themselves and demand more trust in their own work as well. My manager ended up getting fired and the store became a much more pleasant and efficient place as a result. I couldn't be happier with the outcome and I even got a promotion to assistant manager. I think this honestly goes to show that if you put your head down and stick to the rules, there's a good chance you can grind from a cashier position up to management level. Also hi, I'm Steven and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit that subscribe button down below. That said, our next story is, have me sign a weird contract or I fail? Okay. Last semester, I had to take a class from a professor who wasn't bad as being incompetent, but definitely was one of those, I have a new way to teach that I developed kind of professors. She also gave the vaguest instructions on what she did want in her turned in work and didn't believe in study guides as she wanted to encourage reading the material. Honestly, I got more out of the book than her class, and buying the book alone would have been far cheaper. Trying to get direction out of this lady was worse than trying to pull teeth, met with mostly, do your best. On top of this, she apparently handed out a grading contract on the first day to everyone that we had to sign in return. I missed this due to being sick, so I didn't get it until later. Said contract basically boiled down to indicating what grade you wanted at the start of the semester. You either met the conditions for that grade or you would fail. So basically by saying you wanted an A, you either met the qualifications for an A or you would fail, even if you could have gotten a B or C instead. If you decided to play it safe with saying you wanted a C, even if you exceeded and would normally get a B or an A, you would just get a C. 
So to cut a lot of the drama of the semester, two things. First, I had surgery at the beginning of the semester. Second is I was working full time while at school to pay for said school. Both ended up with me missing a lot of work. And normally I would just cut my losses. Except I'm very close to my degree. And my professor said I could make up the work. Otherwise I would fail and need to retake the class anyway in the spring. So I decided that I had nothing to lose and buckled down with basically getting next to no sleep for weeks. I had over a month and a half at least of work and two weeks to do it in. Now finally, this is where the malicious compliance comes in. During an exchange where I was emailing my work, she told me I still hadn't done her contract, which at that point was only still a few weeks out from the finals. I didn't get the point, but she told me either I did the contract or I would fail. She also let slip that not doing the final would drop you a letter grade but not fail you. The only exception to her weird contract that wasn't in it, and one I confirmed very deliberately in writing. At this point I was bone tired and honestly forcing myself to continue working on anything. Which may not sound like much, but with my mental health history was a Herculean effort. I just wanted the pain to stop and a full night's rest. So I decided if not doing the final just dropped me by a letter grade, then I would just do the work for a B and end up with a grade I thought was fair for how the semester had gone. This meant for even more work, but it also meant I didn't need to worry about a final and could finally just sleep. Which I explained as much to the professor when she asked me why I didn't have a final turned in on the last day. That so far has been the last I ever spoke to or seen of her. Imagine my surprise when I actually ended up with a B in her class. Personally, I take this to be her never wanting me in her class again. And I don't know if it makes me a witch overall, but I do know she apparently has it now. Not doing the final is an automatic D. So, sorry to anyone who got her after me. OP is a trailblazer. They're the ones who changed the rules for future generations. They're the ones who spat the gum on the ground. Therefore, every kid that comes after them cannot have any. Our next story is... That time the company lawyers told me to contact law enforcement. This took place years ago, but still makes me laugh at the sheer stupidity of it all. It starts as all truly great sagas published on the internet begin... When I met a random guy through a friend at a bar in the city, let's call the guy I met Mark for the purpose of this post. My friend had introduced me to Mark because for a few years leading up to that introduction, I shared an idea I had for a business with anyone who would listen. I was told Mark wanted to start his own business, had worked in the industry, knew a lot about the subject matter required, and thought my idea was good. Mark and I met up for a lunch. We hit it off. He said he'd start the business as the CEO and agreed to me taking a part-time operational role. I agreed to help in a part-time operational role because I couldn't afford to quit my day job. I put in 15% of the cash for 5% ownership since Mark was going to put in founder hours, 80 plus hours a week, and agreed to put up 85% of the cash, which was more money than I could afford to risk on a new venture. I worked part-time. I did what I said I would do. I even tried to be of assistance on things I had no experience with. I connected Mark with a fella I'd done business with before. We'll call him Paul. Paul and I got into a dispute ourselves. More on this later. Anyway, let's fast forward a few months. And I got into a dispute with Mark 
over stationary. Yes, stationary not being to his liking caused him to flip out. This was despite him picking the stationary out. Next up, the contract I got from Mark was not what we agreed. The legal work required a few months to get done, and I had expected delays, but when I finally got it, the paperwork didn't represent what I'd agreed to own. Not only that, but my investment wasn't being acknowledged under the terms we'd committed to when I put the money in. Now as I said, I wasn't able to risk much, and I only invested what I could afford to lose, so this wasn't a huge sum of money. I didn't want to make a big deal about it since the amount was small and he began promising a new contract when the business could pay for the lawyers to make changes. I signed nothing. Then it worsened. Mark and I would start to fight any time we were in a room together. As I think back, it's almost comical how angry he would get in my presence. I have other things to do with my time than squabble over stuff like stationery. So I worked on my areas of the business and hoped things would grow. I stopped in whenever I could and would help out regularly as needed with as little Mark interaction as possible. Paul would intervene sometimes when Mark would get particularly difficult to be around. Anyways, fast forward about two years and Mark can't help but tell everyone who will listen that the business is going well. I have no idea how well things are going because Mark isn't giving me any updates. I get a call around Christmas from Mark. He wishes me a happy holiday, then drops the bomb on me that he wants to terminate my involvement and refund my investment. I decline the investment refund and say I'm happy to no longer work with him. In my head, I think it's kind of hilarious that he thinks this will just end that easily, but I say nothing to that accord to him. Mark and I hang up with him aggravated about my refusal to take the refund on my investment. Mark then sends me an email that I had resigned. This had no basis in fact, but certainly was creative about what we had just discussed. I correct him immediately in a reply, stating that he no longer wanted to work together and that I can see that being the case, but want to discuss my investment. A few days later, Mark demands I come pick up a check for a reimbursement of my investment. I do not come and get it. Next thing you know, the company attorney huffs and puffs and tries to scare me with some strongly worded letter. This is the same idiot attorney who screwed up my contract to work on the business and my investment agreement. Let's call this attorney Mr. Cohn for the sake of the story. I send an email response to Mr. Cohn that he screwed up. The company seems to be doing well. That I hear rumors about how well, that I want to be on this for the foreseeable future, and I will not take a one-for-one cash out for what I put in. The attorney then emails me back stating in writing that Mark never accepted my electronic transfer into the company account. Instead, Mark has another company he accepted the money into. A company I've never heard of. A company that's different than the name of the recipient on my electronic transfer. A company that would be committing wire fraud to accept the money I sent. On that note, I did some sleuthing online. I found out Mark had been forming one company every month or two. Then there were media reports and documents he let slip in shared drives he forgot I had access to from when we agreed to work together. Mark was too cheap and stupid to pay for tech help, so he was using my shared folders I had created, and I certainly wasn't obligated to turn off the shares if he wanted to work out of them. Those documents showed me Mark had recently raised money in the company I sent the payment to, 
at 200 times the valuation I'd bought into it at, and Mark didn't disclose my investment to the new investors. Mark had, however, put me on documents showing my ownership to previous investors, not on documents I'd ever seen before, but documents he'd been sending around. When I share my suspicions that Mark is committing wire fraud with Mr. Cohn, I am told that I'm the one breaking the law by knowing anything about the investment documents the company has used. Mr. Cohn tells me that by not picking up my check, I will not be entitled to any money and to contact law enforcement if I think something illegal has happened. He cautions though that I'll be the one in trouble. Cue the malicious compliance. I let the different respective members of the Securities and Exchange Commission, along with law enforcement, know what happened to me. I provided them all of the documents I had from the matter. It took about five years for the investigation to conclude, for charges to be brought, for a trial to conclude, and for Mark to go to jail. They say government is slow, but they aren't kidding with just how slow. Maybe it was slow because Mark was running a large, tens of millions of dollars large, fraud. Anyway, Mark will be serving time for about 30 felony charges they found. When uncovering the details of his Ponzi scheme, he will be away for a long time. I never did anything wrong. With the information I was able to provide, Mr. Cohn ended up getting disbarred. There were other things Mr. Cohn did outside of what is shared in this post that I cannot share or it could help identify me to the folks involved. The investigators credited me with bringing the fraud to their attention. I lost my money in this ordeal, but gained an education, and I got to help bring down a crook. The sheer stupidity of Mark is that he didn't even follow the business plan I had. He just used it as a story to convince investors to give him money. It's a business model that works very, very well. It took a few more years, but I'm now in a position to be pursuing this business full-time with people of high integrity who all work together to ensure each other's success. We expect to have an extremely profitable year in 2023 after proving the business model worked in 2022. Although OP lost money, I know it had to feel good, especially after so many years to bring down this person who backstabbed you and you thought he like tried to steal your business and the business idea, but it was all just a prop. Our next story is, want me to CC you on every single email? Fine. I'm working with a manager from another team for a while and he is way more micromanaging than my actual manager. He asked me to send him a status update every day on projects where turnaround time is two to three days for change and CC him on every email I send related to the project. The CCing thing really irked me for some reason, but I didn't want to argue or make a scene, so I started what turned out to be a two-week campaign. I would CC him on every email I sent. Routine hardware swap? CC'd. 10 requests for 10 people and 10 emails asking for access to a lab? CC'd. But also important status updates? CC'd. Emails requiring action on his end? CC'd. He couldn't even filter me out. I didn't tag him in the email body or anything helpful, making it difficult to decipher when his help was required. Over the course of two weeks, he missed two emails that required him to do something, causing other people to be annoyed with him. Eventually, he relented and told me to use my judgment when CCing him. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that after finishing a small questionnaire will match you with a licensed therapist where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. Honestly, I'm surprised he hasn't hit this issue before, since he manages, like, seven other projects. But all's well that ends well. I fought the power and got my email autonomy back. These people just never understand how much work or how annoying it's going to be. There's been times where I collaborate on some kind of project and I'm in like a discord and I'm like, you know what, it would be nice to get pinged every time somebody leaves a message. And you realize how quickly you lose your sanity every time you get notified every single message. Telling on myself. So, many years ago, we were working on a job that had some scaffolding. This is very easy to install scaffolding that doesn't require a mason or a professional scaffolding company to install. It's made of fiberglass and just locks together very quickly and easily. However, the scaffolding we had was getting pretty old and beat up. It was already at the end of its life and it needed to be replaced. So, I approached my assistant director and asked for authorization to buy new scaffolding. I already had a quote for $18,000, so I just needed approval. Assistant director takes it to the director, and surprisingly he says, Yeah, we actually have some money for equipment and safety supplies right now, but we should ask the other shops to see if anyone else needs equipment too. The director gets a huge wish list of equipment from all of the various shops. We end up near the bottom of the 10. All this discussion and back and forth gets us nowhere. I was begging the AD every few weeks that we needed this scaffolding, and he just shrugged his shoulders and said that the director was still deciding. Six months later and we still don't have approval to buy the new scaffolding. Around the six month mark, I get contacted by a member of our safety team, Sarah. A photographer was visiting various jobs on campus to take photos for an in-house newsletter. One of the photos was of our scaffolding and Sarah saw the photo. She noticed that some of the braces weren't installed correctly, a minor error that was still safe, and she just wanted to let me know to have it corrected. 
Here's where the malicious compliance came in. I suddenly got the idea to have a site visit with Sarah and another safety person, Anne, who was the primary scaffolding trainer. I invited them both personally to inspect it and give their advice. While we were there, I pointed out everything that was wrong with the scaffolding. Told them how old it was, how many parts had already broken, and how I was really wanting to replace it. They both agreed that the scaffolding was unsafe and tagged it as out of service and told me to no longer use it. Aw shucks. I asked for them to put it in writing, which they do right away. I print off the email, march right into the AD's office and hand him the email. I told him that the scaffolding isn't safe to use anymore and that we had to stop our job immediately. We were right in the middle of a large, complicated job and no other equipment could be used. I told him, if I order that new scaffolding, I can have it here in two to three weeks. He sighed and gave me approval. I immediately ordered it and he approved the purchase the next day. A few weeks later, we got our shiny new scaffolding. To be fair, in this line of work, if there's one thing to not skimp out on, it would be scaffolding. I don't know how common old scaffolding is, but I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it. That said, our next story is, don't communicate properly. Great, I'll do exactly as you say. I'm the only person on the night shift, so when I come in, there's usually one or two people finishing their shift. The manager leaves at least a few hours before I even show up, so I'm left a note, text, or some message of stuff they want me to do during the night. Fine by me, I like what I do and the solitude of night shift makes my work life easier and more comfortable. On top of the list of stuff I'm given, I also do some extra stuff around the building to make things easier during the day when most of the materials are delivered and need to be tested. In my line of work, I do testing on different materials sent to us by clients. This involves hands-on work and machine-operated work. One of the things I'm expected to do is report the results of the tests we do. So when I walk into work the other day, I see a pile of test sheets that has a sticky note saying, report. So I report the tests. All is well, saves time, and the clients get the results quickly. However, what I did not know was that one of those tests in that report stack was under a recheck, and the machine used to test that material was under verification. No note saying not to report it or that it's being rechecked. Nothing to stop me from reporting it to the client. So, thinking all was fine with the world, I go home after my shift and sleep for the day. I leave the building before my manager shows up, so I never really see people unless they come in early or leave late. I then wake up to see an email from my manager about how that one test should have never gone out, that the machine was under verification and the material was being rechecked. I respond saying that I didn't know this and that the test results were in a pile of other test results, saying to report. My manager emails back stating that I should just focus on the list of stuff they leave me to do instead of finding additional work. So I do exactly that. I only focus on the list they gave me. Some nights the list has me working the full 8 hours, but most nights the list only requires 3 hours of work max, and I get to just sit back and relax for the other 5 or so hours. I started bringing my laptop to work and playing video games or work on Dungeons & Dragons stuff. I mean honestly, hey. I would find anything to do during that downtime. Sounds like a good deal to me. This next story is, if you want to change companies, don't let the door hit your butt on the way out. I work at a small company delivering potable water to people who don't have access to either city water or a private well. So we deliver to the same customers pretty much every week. 
Some customers are great and go out of their way to make deliveries easier, or at least make sure that they don't make them any more difficult than they have to be. A few customers just don't give a crap and expect us to make deliveries no matter what they do to make things inconvenient. Recently, one customer, over the last couple of years, had made several changes to their property that made making deliveries significantly more difficult. I'd spoken to my boss about them and he laid out the conditions that would need to be met before he would consider dropping a paying customer. And they were literally just barely with the limits. And to their credit, they did keep up with their bills. Darn it. I dreaded seeing their name on the delivery list every other week. And then they changed to wanting deliveries every week because their children were moving into the house as well. After that, payments started being more sporadic. The checks we were getting changed names from the homeowner to their daughter. My boss only takes cash or check, not credit cards, as he feels no compulsion to give any money to credit card companies or to increase prices and pass the cost on to the customer. One day, while I was in the office doing some end-of-day tasks, the phone rang. Caller ID was this problem customer. Boss answers and I eavesdropped. It was the daughter. She wanted to start by paying the credit card. Boss said no. Then she decided to drop her threat to change companies. Such hope in my heart as I saw the boss's face turn red. He hates bullies and being bullied. Boss immediately agrees that would be best and hangs up on her, walks over to the delivery schedule calendar and crosses her name off the list. Two days later, I got called into the office to hear a message left by the daughter, begging us to make deliveries again. She apologized and everything. Turns out she had discovered that we were by far the cheapest option for them. One of the things that made them frustrating to deliver to was not just the physical difficulty of the delivery, but they only have a 350 gallon holding tank. It was a lot of work and time to deliver such a small amount of water, and we have the lowest minimum delivery rate in town. While all the companies around town are around the same price per gallon, most other companies have a 800 gallon minimum delivery rate, while our minimum at the time was only 500 gallons. The boss and I shared a chuckle over the call. I don't believe he bothered with calling her back. This just makes sense. If you're a good paying customer, they're willing to probably overlook some stuff. But if you're enough of a headache, no company's going to want to deal with you. Our next story is, I'd like to speak with your manager. Not a problem. A few years ago, I was working casual as a bar manager at a major sports stadium after my housemate, who was running the corporate dining, hooked me up with a job as a nice little side earner. The role was pretty straightforward. Turn up, set up the bar, serve beers and snacks, clean up the bar, go home. This made it ideal for uni students, particularly international students who could pick up 3-5 to hour shifts without it causing too much disruption to their studies. While the 5-6 to staff I managed were continually changing individually, it was mostly Indian international students, as well as the same colleague Anoop, week in and week out, who was invaluable at keeping the show running. Given my housemate and I lived together and he hooked me up with a job, I was happy to take on a new person or two per shift who had never worked in a bar setting before to give them a quick rundown on pouring beer, using the register, etc. If it was one trainee, I'd pair them up with me. Two trainees, I'd pair the second one up with a noob. The bar was a members-only bar that had its own private room that came as a perk of the $800 membership people were paying to the sports club each year. It meant, along with getting beer in real glassware rather than plastic, that the queues were also much shorter as well. 
and there were usually a few ex-players kicking around to give the odd speech. During one particular shift, just after the game started, I was doing my thing at one end of the bar when a noob came up to me and said that there was an issue at one of the registers. I went over to see, and the young student there told me that the patron standing opposite the bar had a mocked her accent when she tried to explain to him that she was still learning how to use the register. The guy looked at me and said he just wants a beer. Summing the situation up quickly, I leaned into a tool that I'd learned from my housemate. Sorry, based on what my staff member has just told me, you made a comment making fun of her accent. I'd like to believe that it's a comment you wouldn't normally make, which leads me to believe you must be intoxicated. I'm not able to serve you anymore tonight. However, I'd be happy to serve your friends, but they will only be able to buy one drink at a time. Needless to say, he wasn't happy with this, and after a couple of minutes back and forward, he asked to speak to someone else about the issue. Absolutely not an issue, I said, and asked the noob to quickly duck off and find the corporate dining manager. After five minutes or so of waiting, the game has restarted at this point, so our patron is now missing the game as well. The corporate dining manager, aka my housemate, arrives wearing his lanyard, suit, polished shoes, etc. I give him a quick summary. The guy pleads his case that he should be allowed to keep drinking here because he's a member and he's paid good money to be there. My housemate hears him out and then says, Based on what my staff member has told me, you've made a comment towards a member of my team which is inappropriate, and he's made the right decision to prohibit you from buying any more alcohol at the bar. However, given that you've argued that point, and your friends here haven't stopped you from doing so, it leads me to believe that all of you are intoxicated which means unfortunately none of you will be able to be served at this bar for the rest of the night. If you'll excuse me, I need to get back to the corporate suites, and if there are any further issues, we'll have to get security. Points to the guy standing at the door who checks everyone's membership before you can enter to escort you out. With that, he turns and leaves. Racist patron and his friends take the L and ask me where the nearest retail outlet is that serves beer. I say not a problem. We're on level 3 at the moment, so you'll need to take two flights of stairs down to level 2, and then take a left and wander past the food, merch, and toilets. And it'll be on your left side. Given their seats were on level 3, that's a fairly decent walk to complete several times throughout the game, and I'd like to think it gave them time to pause and reflect. However, I suspect that wasn't the case. How much you want to bet jerks like this, after having an experience like this, will go home and mentally double down on being racist? Our next story is, force me to have a retirement ceremony? Okay, sure. I was retiring from a 20-year career in the US military, and that typically involves a retirement ceremony with speeches, medals, and cake. I never planned on a retirement ceremony, but as the months got closer, my boss didn't really care for him kept bugging me for details about my retirement ceremony and I kept saying I'd get to it. I finally told him I wasn't having a ceremony and he flipped out and said I had to have one. I rolled my eyes and said I'd set something up. Now, I was retiring from a base in California and we had planned a summer road trip to see friends in Colorado, so I came up with a plan and made some calls. A month before I left active duty and my boss kept harping on me for ceremony details and I said invites were going out that week. That day I sent a formal retirement invite to my entire California unit 
to a ceremony in Colorado. Ten seconds after I hit send, my boss was screaming my name. Why the heck is your ceremony in Colorado? I said, sir, you said I had to have one. You didn't say where. You're more than welcome to take leave and attend. He didn't. And my retirement ceremony was a barbecue in a Hawaiian shirt and mini medals. I mean, I totally understand the people who don't want to have these big celebrations. I would definitely say I'm not the most outgoing person either. And after 20 years, if all I wanted to do was go home and relax for a while, honestly, maybe the last thing I'd want to do is go have some big showy celebratory party. It's all to mean well, but really like... I feel like you can understand people not enjoying the whole, yay, you spent 20 years of your life doing something. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.